What's up, guys? Before the show, we wanted to tell you about our new bingo endeavor, B-I-N-G-O. So what we have now on our website is a bingo sheet, five by five, with multiple prompts across various episodes. So it could be uh, Bobby's haircut is referenced, or um, Bo doesn't like his drink, or whatever prompt it may be. Uh, you basically download the bingo sheet or print it out, fill it out accordingly when you come across something in an episode. So when you came across uh, Bobby and myself talking about his haircut, uh, you would mark it down. You'd say it's episode four or the endocrine lecture or wherever it may be. Fill out all the boxes, post it on Instagram, tag us, or just send it to us through Instagram, and we'll send you a piece of merchandise from our store totally free, shipping and everything. So kind of a little fun game to get y'all engaged, to have you look for key parts within the podcast, and then to potentially just uh, get some free merch. We got posters, among other things, in our store. So check it out. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back to another special episode of Buzzwords. I know I say that every time because I'm an original hack fraud, but this episode is actually special and that we have a guest. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode. As Bobby said, we have a fantastic guest today. Someone's already laughing. Uh, our guest today is none other than a pediatric resident that goes by the name of Heather. Heather, say hello to everybody. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So Heather is a pediatrics pro. So we thought, who better to have come on to our episode covering everything pediatrics and Heather. So we're excited. Excited to get stumped. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Let's do it. Bobby is uh, notoriously hard to stump. So we'll see if we can get anything past him. But he's also notoriously uh, bad at pediatrics. If you've heard any of our prior podcasts, you can tell that uh, pretty clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Are you nervous, Bobby? Yeah, definitely. So what are we drinking today? Um, well, I'll start. I am drinking a penicillin. This is a cocktail made with um, a blended scotch whiskey. Um, and I thought it was appropriate because it's a little bit medicinal. It has some ginger and lemon in it. it makes my throat feel all nice and warm. That's what I went with. <laughs> Bo, cool. what about penicillin. you? Yeah. I've never heard that. I went with a very classic uh, whiskey. I actually uh, FaceTimed Bobby when I was in the restaurant, or I'm sorry, when I was in the grocery <laughs> store trying to figure out what to buy, but I ultimately went with uh, a cinnamon whiskey uh, by the name of Fireball. So I'm just <laughs> never heard of it before. <laughs> Bobby, I'll let you know. I am drinking wild turkey. Wild turkey. Okay. Nice. Appropriate for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yes, very appropriate. I like the names. The penicillin uh, name is very cool, too. All right. How do we crack them with these, Bobby? Well, mine has like a cork on it, so I'm just going <laughs> to. Nice. All right. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll uh, twist mine off as, as aggressively as possible. And this whiskey, by the way, is uh, Heather's choice. So if you ever join us on our podcast, you get to choose what we drink. So. Yes, I feel honored. Yeah. <laughs> feel honored that you went out to get whiskey for me. Of course. All right, guys, let's get started. <laughs> I can't open it. Are you guys chasing <laughs> your uh, drinks with anything? I'm not. Uh, nope. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. What Is do you have? <laughs> I got Sprite. Nice. 
Yeah, we'll yeah. still get some much-needed slurping sounds for the uh, <sighs> Pepsi. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Heather, since you're the guest of honor, how about you start? Okay, perfect. Um, okay, let's start with a classic ED visit. Um, Bobby, we have a two-month-old baby um, who presents with non-bilious projectile emesis. Um, what is the diagnosis and what electrolyte derangements do you expect? I would be worried about pyloric stenosis, and I would be worried about potassium specifically. Yeah, perfect. And um, like, what, what do you expect the potassium to be? It will be low from all the vomiting. Right. And I guess what is your first kind of, what's the first thing you would do for this kiddo? Well, I'd want to confirm with physical exam, you might see like an olive shaped mass or palpate an olive shaped mass or see uh, peristalsis. And then you could confirm with an ultrasound and then definitive treatment is actually surgery. You do a pylorotomy, but you want to make sure that you replete electrolytes and uh, fluid before you do it. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, the only other thing I had to add is that sometimes on the exam, I know they brought up the, I think it was like the string sign or like a beak that you can see if they do a barium study. Uh, but more often than not, from what I've seen in the ED, we'll just get an ultrasound. Um, and then that can be a definitive diagnosis along with the clinical history. Cool. And then is it the like target sign or the donut sign for the pylorus that you can see? Um, I, I don't know that one. I only know the string sign and like the pyloric beak that it kind of is like um, that shape. But I don't know the donut sign. Bo, do you know? I think donut is intussusception. Oh, you might be right. Maybe you just see like Better a thickened it. pylorus. It doesn't have a special term. Yeah, yeah. Like the target sign I think of with intussusception, but I'm not sure about pyloric stenosis. All right. Well, I'll drink to that. Take a little <laughs> sip. How is it, Bo? That reminds me of college. <laughs> so, Bo, a uh, child comes in with some thyroid symptoms, and you get some, uh, you get a sample of it, and the pathologist drops the report on your desk, and it's mostly redacted, but you can just barely make out a few unredacted words, and it says, uh, Herthel cell metaplasia with lymphoid aggregates. What are you worried about? You're making me think of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Nice. Yeah, very good. I was not expecting you to get that one right. So um, we've kind of talked about it before, but just a couple other things to keep in mind is uh, it is associated with HLA-DR3, and it also puts you at an increased risk for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, typically a B-cell lymphoma. Right. And is this found in the pediatric population often? Heather, do you know? Bobby? Um, I didn't think of it as like specifically a pediatric thing, but Bobby, maybe you know something I don't. Uh, I think autoimmune stuff can kind of be more common in teenagers. I think this is one of the cases where it is. Bobby's okay, sweating because he thought we were doing an endocrine lecture and now he's, now he's pivoting. Great case, Bobby. So Heather, I have a one day old with minimal left hand movement born at 40 weeks. Also notable for some left pupil that is a little bit contracted and some sagging of the eyelid. 
What's going on? Hmm, one day old. Um, this makes me think of a brachial plexus injury that the baby encountered during birth. Okay. So let me elaborate and say that the baby's forearm was supinated and the wrist was extended. Does that narrow down where in the brachial plexus this injury occurred? I'm sure it does. Um, (laughs) 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 But I'm not sure where it is. (laughs) So let me ask you another question. What are the risk factors for a brachial plexus injury in a newborn? So a brachial plexus injury in a newborn often occurs um, when you have more traumatic deliveries, such as a C-section, or maybe um, it's a baby that's kind of on the larger side, like over eight or nine pounds. Right. So anything in the mother that would make you think, okay, it's more likely to be a large infant, maybe it's more likely to have some shoulder dystocia and ultimately um, some brachial plexus injuries. Yeah. So we think about that in um, our moms who have diabetes. Perfect. Yep. So that's exactly right. So you got, I would say, four out of the five questions correct, where this baby who came in, born at 40 weeks, left forearm is supinated and extended. It's known as the Klumpke palsy, K-L-U-M-P-K-E, clump. Post-production bow here, guys. We are talking about Klumpke's palsy here, which affects C-A-T-1, but I described it incorrectly. I was describing Herb's palsy, which affects the upper trunk, sometimes memorized as the Herber trunk. Shout out to a listener for catching this. And in this specific one is due to C8T1 traction. And the hint for that, as silly as it might seem and as like into the weeds, but was that the fact that he had some ptosis and meiosis. So you were affecting sympathetic fibers that run along the T1 nerves. Uh, those were kind of learning points from that. And so let's say, Heather, this, this kiddo comes to your clinic and uh, the mother's anxious and she's like, what's the prognosis for this kiddo? Do you have anything that you would advise her? Um, Yeah, so uh, some of these babies, there's actually non-surgical treatments, I think, available for a lot of these kids. It kind of depends on the severity of the injury. Um, But to be honest, if I were a pediatrician, I'd probably refer this kiddo to get just further evaluation by the neuro and by the surgery teams. Um, But a lot of them do actually resolve on their own. Yep, exactly. That last part is key, is that most of these have a very good prognosis as long as the nerves weren't avulsed. If they were, they do need surgery, but otherwise, if it was just stretching or compression of the brachial plexus, typically physical therapy and even massage can help them, but most have a good prognosis. Awesome. I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that. (laughs) Turn up. Cheers. So I'll go ahead for Bobby. So Mm -hmm. Bobby, I have a nine-year-old non-vaccinated male. He presents with his pain behind his ear. He also has this tender rash that he first noticed on his neck. Now it's down to his shins. Um, On exam, I see that he has some swollen lymph nodes behind his ear and this erythematous, tender, maculopapular rash. What do you think's going on? I would be worried about rubella in somebody who is non-vaccinated with a posterior auricular lymphadenopathy and a descending rash. Perfect. And um, what are some complications of rubella? Well, typically I think about them in like a pregnant woman and then like newborn complications. Um, And I think the classic mnemonic is like, I love ruby earrings. So it's uh, cataracts and then hearing issues like deafness. And then I think a PDA or an ASD. 
Yep. PDA, I think is what it is. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think that just like you said, we often think of the congenital infection, but actually um, when kids get this postnatally, they can develop encephalitis and um, thrombocytopenia, although that's pretty rare. But... Interesting. Yeah. Heather, have you seen any kiddos with rubella? Um, I have not. We had one that was like suspected rubella, but it turned out to be uh, COVID actually. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, but the patient was totally fine, doing very well. I discharged them home. Um, but no, no rubella um, yet. So interesting. Okay, Bobby is um, stumped. How many doses of chickenpox vaccine does a kid <laughs> usually get? And when do you give them, Bo? No, no <laughs> typing to look it up. Dude, that's unreal. Is that really your question? Okay. Hold it on. is. Stop. Two doses, one at six months, and one at two years. So if you doubled that, you would be right. Darn. What is it? So you get it at one year and then at four. These are so tough. Um, it's so hard. I think for that test, I would just pick a couple to memorize, and then hopefully you can figure it out from there. So Heather, what what was the answer? Um, I think what Bobby said, doubling it. So the first dose is at 12 or 15 months, and the second dose is at like four or six years old. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will definitely have to drink to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any other vaccination schedules bobby that you think are particularly high yield maybe maybe they'll okay. come up as future questions to get you to drink who knows all right i want to give bobby a question because i'm getting a little angry <laughs> <laughs> that first question was totally reasonable but heather i will ask you another question so i have a kiddo come in with parents and they're drooling a lot parents are upset and they're concerned that the kiddo might have swallowed something a foreign object per se they mm -hmm. don't know when but definitely swallowed something what are the things that start running through your mind what are you starting to get concerned about what is the one thing that you have to take out regardless uh the one thing i have to take out regardless would be batteries perfect I would say most other things you can just observe. Um, we've had kids sit in the ED and you just kind of watch their serial x-rays as their coins move through them um, until they go to the bathroom and find it in the toilet. But um, of course, if there's any airway compromise, I would also be worried. So like wheezing or respiratory distress. Yep, touched on all the, all the key points. Button batteries particularly, and you have a battery, but really button batteries are the ones that don't even need um, they're the ones that can kind of conduct the current just by like sitting in the mucosa and they can cause a lot of erosion. Uh, but otherwise, other foreign objects, if you know relatively when they were, you know, ingested, you can kind of confirm that they're moving uh, through the GI tract. You can just observe them as long as there's no compromise of the uh, airway. Very good. Perfect. One, one thing I would just add is I think uh, and it's like more of a recent thing is actually uh, like neodymium magnets because they sell like those magnet toys that are like tiny little balls that stick together. And I guess I've seen it on, I think it's on, there was a year old question about it where the kid ate multiple magnets and there was like a risk of them like pulling towards each other in different segments of the hmm. small bowel. 
So you have to go get those oh. as well. Oh, yes. That's a great point. Yeah, it's a great one. Okay. Bobby, how are you at math? Uh, I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Without a calculator, uh, you have a five-day-old female. She presents for a checkup. Uh, she's sleeping comfortably in her mom's arms. Uh, mom's have been having some difficulty with breastfeeding, but she's getting help from a lactation consultant. The baby was born at 39 weeks, and she weighed 3,500 grams. Her weight today is 3,300 grams. Are you worried about this? Uh, no. So typically babies lose a little bit of their water weight uh, once they're born. I think it's usually by two weeks when you uh, expect them to be back to birth weight. Right. And how much would be too much um, birth weight loss? I think it's 10%. And you said she was 3,500 and it. Oh, I guess you said 33, so maybe she's a little bit over. Yeah, no, no, you're perfect. You're definitely right. Um, I think I calculated that she's lost about 6%. I think 10% is kind of the golden number on the test, um, and that's kind of an easy calculation to do in your head, too. Um, so if they've lost more than 10% um, and they haven't gained it back by two weeks of life, then it's kind of when you're starting to get worried. Good to know. Okay. Bo. Since you complained so much about the last two questions, I'll give you one in your field of interest. So a kid comes in uh, and they've been at summer camp and then now they have these hypopigmented macules kind of scattered throughout their back and their neck. What's going on? Uh, they have pityriasis alba. Yeah, so I think it's also known as pityriasis versicolor. I think you're right. I think pityriasis alba is not the right answer <laughs> right, <Heather? laughs> i think it yeah i think it's versicolor <laughs> i think alba is a fancy way to say <laughs> why are you guys laughing so much i gave you a question and you're like you're gonna be a dermatologist we have lots of time to learn that later wait sometimes pityriasis alba is confused with tinea versicolor oh so maybe so tinea versicolor is like the yes, overgrowth okay. of yeast, right? So I think pityriasis alba uh, is actually a type of eczema, right? It's It looks like kind of yeah. a fungus. There's white patches, but it's related to actually like an eczematous process. So I think pityriasis versicolor, I'm sorry, I think tinea versicolor, uh, the malazia furfur, the spaghetti and meatballs, that's a spicy meatball. Uh, all that good stuff uh, is tinea versicolor. You would treat it with Selsun Blue Shampoo, um, I think would be the first line. Yep, you got all of it. The only other thing awesome. I would add is you can use uh, topical azoles if the Selsun Blue isn't working for whatever reason. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I should have known that better. The bottom's up. Were you actually drinking your whiskey? Because it sounded like you tapped your Sprite can and then set, took a sip of your Sprite can and set it down. I'm actually just chugging vitamin D. A little sus. Speaking of vitamins, I'm going to switch it up. Bobby, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> okay. This is a quick one. In a child, what is the most common cause of mental retardation? I would say that it is due to uh, neonatal hypothyroidism, otherwise known as cretinism. Heather, what's your answer? I thought it was fetal alcohol syndrome. 
Uh, Bobby, what's your second choice? <laughs> oh, no. Um, most common cause of mental retardation. All I mean by it is that this person has, on average, uh, a low enough IQ that they can technically be considered, um, where they can technically be considered impaired in regards to their intelligence. I, considering this is a vitamins question, I would guess a... Oh, wait, no, it's not a vitamins question. Okay, well, then why did you start <laughs> off by saying, speaking of vitamins... It's just a euphemism. You can't you can't be uh, so uh, what's it called? You can't anchor so quickly, Bobby. Well, when somebody gives you an anchor, yeah. <laughs> is it Down syndrome? It is Down syndrome. Well uh. done, Heather. Since you got it right, I'm gonna ask Bobby the subsequent question. Bobby, what GI disorders is Down syndrome associated with? Down syndrome is associated with uh, duodenal atresia. And then also uh, Hirschsprung's disease. Wow, well done. I did not think you'd get that. And Heather, what about heart disease? Um, I believe they can have a VSD or an ASD. Yep, they or can have a whole slew of things. Yep. Okay. And then what about neurologically, uh, Bobby? They're at risk for Alzheimer's later in life because they have an extra copy of senilin mm -hmm. on chromosome 21. Wow. Well done. Heather, do you see what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'll drink Can't to stomach. that. <laughs> Can't stomach. Cretinism, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how that was related to vitamins, but but everything else, on it. <laughs> and interestingly, one thing I did forget to mention is that there's one maternal risk factor that's scientifically proven. Any ideas? Anybody? Hmm. Age? It's simple. It is age. Wow. I'm shocked. I'm green with, with jealous rage of how good you are at this. Well, <laughs> anyways. I just remember seeing that chart and it's like, I think the risk of Down syndrome in a 30 year old is like one in 40,000 or something. And then by the time you're 40, it's like one in 20. So it's like this exponential curve upwards. I think it's a chart that many female residents have burned into their memory, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Bobby. We have a six-month-old female. She comes in with two days of like a low-grade fever, rhinorrhea, cough. Um, her parents also report several episodes in which she stopped. She appeared to stop breathing for a couple seconds. They're pretty worried about that. Um, on your exam, you hear coarse breath sounds. Um, you don't hear any strider. But then two days later, she develops respiratory distress, hypoxia. My question for you is, what is the earliest vital sign change that you usually see in this condition? <laughs> Tachycardia. That's what I thought too, but it's actually um, increased respiratory rate. It's the earliest and most sensitive vital sign change. And then, of course, what is our diagnosis? Uh, RSV. Yeah, perfect. What else can you tell me about RSV? It's seasonal, uh, predominantly in the winter months. Um, Preterm babies can get palivizumab to reduce their risk of getting it. Those are the main things I remember, to be honest. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Um, yeah, definitely seasonal, um, kind of late fall, winter, maybe early spring. RSV is the most common cause of bronchiolitis. I don't know if we actually said bronchiolitis out loud. Um, and then this is like a clinical diagnosis, but... If you got a chest x-ray, do you know what you would see on it? Is that the steeple sign? No, that's a good guess. Uh, Bo, do you know? RSV, bilateral 
Apache infiltrates? Yeah, it's kind of a trick question because it's pretty nonspecific. You might just see hyperinflation. Um, you might see interstitial infiltrates. Um, I think the steeple sign is, is that epiglottitis? Croup. Croup, yeah. Oh, right. I got those bad. mixed up. Para, yeah. Parainfluenza. Same family. Same sketchy. Same sketch. Same sketch, yeah. <laughs> Heather, have you actually seen the use of pavalizumab? Yeah, I have. I just um, rotated in the NICU a little while ago. And we have a lot of really high-risk kids in there, like X23-weekers. Um, so they qualify for pavalizumab. Um, yeah, and a lot of those kids have chronic lung disease as well. Wow. Yeah, cool stuff. Yeah. I'll drink to that. Yeah. <laughs> How's everyone's drink so far? Mm, I have like a little bit of lemon. It's a little tingly. That's also warm with the whiskey and the ginger. It's really nice. Did you make this drink yourself? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. So it's not just like whiskey that you bought. It's like whiskey plus things that you put in there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, the whiskey is called Monkey Shoulder. Mm. It's a blended malt scotch. And then, um, yeah. And then I did some ginger and lemon. Yeah. And honey. Wow. And Bobby, how about you? How's your drink? Pretty solid, I would say. Maybe a hint of uh, bismuth, a little bit of beryllium. Um, <laughs> Maybe a little, a little less coppery than the beer. Yeah, Empire. yeah. No, wild turkey's super good. I don't. I'm bad at describing how whiskey tastes, but it goes down smooth. Nice. Well how is yours, Bo? Mine's great. It's bringing back memories, uh, good and bad. But overall, I'm I'm very happy that we're doing this. So. All right, guys, that is it for the first part of this pediatric series. Stay tuned for uh, parts two and three as they come up and keep listening to see what we ultimately score our whiskeys. All righty, Gunners. See you next time. Yay!